Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 421 of the Columbia Calling Podcast. Thank you for your understanding. We took a week off for the holidays with my family. I was able to travel overseas and what was the first time since 2019 and sees friends, family, loved ones and so on. Of course, it was very special. It felt like a pre-pandemic time, of course, though. But um, yes, face masks on aeroplanes and public transport and so on. But of course, that's the way it should be. That's the way it is. But this episode 421, we gave priority to Patreon supporters. Those are the people who support us on patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling. Those who support us financially here at the podcast. And they sent in questions, Columbia-related questions. Uh, yes, that we, Emily and I, Emily Hart and I, are going to endeavor to answer as best we can. Of course, this is a follow-on from 407, the first one of the year, the first episode of the year in which we did the same, and it was immensely popular and very, very successful indeed, and people asked for us to do it once again. So this is the second um, Q&A episode of the year, and we have questions that came in from Nicholas, Julian, Susan, Sarah Louise, Simon, Emma Louise, Donald, Tigran, and if I've if I've missed you out, I apologize. But thank you so much to all of those of you who sent in questions, and we'll try to cover them all in this episode. Q&A episode 421. Thank you again for listening. And we're back. This is Columbia Calling, episode 421. Thank you for allowing us a week off during the holidays. I'm here with Emily. Emily's on the line. Hi, <laughs> Hi, everyone. If you're watching on YouTube, there is sun in Bogota. As I'm, I'm, I'm even squinting after all the rain of the last few days. Miserable cold and rain in Medellin. So we've really? had some kind of grossly unjust exchange oh no but honestly the last four days I, i've not seen as much water falling as in this last four days and maybe it's because i had an awesome holiday in the sun but it's been so miserable here and dark so maybe this is our hour this is our hour i don't know but it's raining all through the country so maybe that's it i don't know it's um, Emily, how's everything going at the same time? You're working very hard. We've got questions and answers this week. Are We've you ready? We've got questions and answers. I 
am ready and will do my very best. Um, <laughs> there there's, yes, I mean, there's a couple at the end that I've slightly struggled to even get my head around, but we'll see. Let's the go for was, it. Well, we're going to do it this way. We'll do the expat immigrant related questions to begin with. Mm. Politics and peace, travel tourism, and then the miscellaneous ones at the end, which mm. is the ones you get your head around. But they're kind of just more jokey ones, of course, as well. Mm. So, we'll, so we'll start sort of mid-range, then go up into the more what would you say intense and then start coming back down again you know the way we would do the podcast as well um mm. and you are perfectly uh, positioned for this first question bogota versus medellin pros and cons in terms of living with a family i mean in terms of living with a family <laughs> I am one of those single childless women in their 30s you read about in op-eds, so I'm afraid I can't help on that. But um, I'll hand over to you on the <laughs> on the family one. Um, but my my only real driving force in where I live, I I worry a lot of the time, is sunlight. Yep. So for me, Medellin is the winner simply because I am a simple sort of an organism in that I need light and water. And my time in Bogota has been spent usually without the former and with too much of the latter. So <laughs> I think, I think I said, I think it ends up coming down to, I think the most, I mean, that's the, the basic, isn't it? Is this the weather, the Bogota weather is not good when it is nice and crisp and clear and mountainous. It's awesome. It, it mm. really is. But like right now it's not. And so, mm. it, you know, and Medellin obviously is, is, is much warmer. Yeah, I guess you you get to see all your frat boys in their flip flops and shorts all the time. Nothing like seeing the feet of a flat of a frat boy wandering poblado to really make your day. You know, um, you know. <laughs> but I feel like the question's sort of driving at infrastructure for life so, as too. well. And as I said, my life's very um, very simple. I don't have to worry about. I mean, schools. How are they in Bogota? Excellent. Um, and I think that's where Bogota probably, and don't don't crucify me, people in Medellin. I think that's where Bogota wins out. I think, uh, you know, okay, 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 Medellin has a metro and we're only just knocking down buildings here. But in terms of schools for a family, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're looking at private schools, they abound. Uh, and mm. on an international level with international baccalaureate and so on, uh, there are schools to choose from. You are not, uh, you know, restricted. I know that the Median has a, a, a French lycée, so that's a good thing. And it I know does, that there's yeah. some other private schools, but there, <laughs> there does seem to be a lot of schools here because I got given a, a, a spreadsheet made by another mother while she was pregnant and all the schools that she was considering applying to. We only ended up applying to two and got accepted into the two, but she did 30 odd. So there you go. I mean, it's something, something to go through. I think, and it, if you say infrastructure, infrastructure, yeah, of course, Median has, has great infrastructure in terms of public transport uh, and its surroundings are, are so wonderful as well to getting out at the weekend. It's, you know, mm. it, it's, I don't know. There's so much, there's, a, there's just too much. It just kind of depends really. I think at the end, it just comes down to the weather. <laughs> I think we could just yeah. boil it all down to that. But I think there's, there's something sort of, you know, without wanting to generalize too much in terms of sort of the basic pleasures, like, going to the countryside at a weekend, getting some sun, throwing yourself in a charcoal. Um, Medellin has it, but in terms of, you know, a rich cultural life, proximity to the structures of power, schools, kind of uh, that kind of stuff, Bogota obviously wins out. I sometimes wonder if it's a slightly more um, 
adult city. Like you say, Medellin attracts, you know, my, my demographic and Mm. the frat boys. Sure. Um, but at a certain age, will I find myself wanting to move to Bogota? I, you know, when I was young and footloose and fancy free, (laughs) there was nothing better than Medellin. But then after a while, I was like, I need to be more, more of a participant as a journalist. And I Mm. found that Bogota lent more to me in terms as you said the structure of power uh and and that that just became a bit easier and i don't know you know it was it was that kind of thing and in the end it took a long time for me to adapt to to bogota and now i worked out is that you live where you want to spend your time rather than trying to get around the city which is obviously incredibly painful uh, I but I walk to my son's nursery school, and then the, and my other son's school bus picks him up at our doorstep. So mm. that, our doorstep is actually the bus stop for the school. There are twelve other children have to come down from other places, but we just fall out of bed. Um, right. But but I think that's what you work out, and 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 I just live in an area where people have no issue coming to meet you in this area sort of thing. It's good coffee shops, good restaurants and so on. So I think it's, you you know, whereas in London, for example, and I don't know, we should obviously compare, you don't really mind dragging yourself across the city or something because you know, well, in my experience, totally normalized. Someone lives an hour away. You're like, that's reasonable. An hour and a half. They're like, Oh, I'll see you a bit less often, but an hour on the tube with a couple of changes. Yeah. totally normalized whereas here i mean i i you know i could see the airport from where i'm sitting i think god <laughs> you know i've got to get down there someone says oh i'm coming through for an hour you want to come no i'm just oh. not going down there i'm not mm. doing it so i think there's that as well but median obviously is smaller and i guess you're more mm. re- restrained to the the, the bowl uh, of the mm. of the valley as well so um but you know in terms of i guess culture and cosmopolitan life they both have their assets but I mean, I, as the capital, Bogota would would take it. <laughs> but I think again, so. Yeah. Don't don't again again. There's a lot of people in Medellin listening. I know, and I'm just trying to step, tread carefully around this. And you know, it's it's a sensitive subject. It's the capital city, and as yeah. much as places believe with all of their <laughs> paisa hearts that Medellin should be the capital city, it it just isn't, and that comes <laughs> that comes with a bunch of consequences. Um, so yeah, I mean. I, I mean, I like Medellin. Mm-hmm. I live here. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a lifer. There are things that appeal <laughs> about Bogota. If I buy myself a good enough set of thermals, who knows? You know? It has been cold. Would you, I mean, when, when you talk about, that's an interesting topic. And, we, you know, we can't go into it too much because, but when you say, you know, the, you know, the price of love and they say that they should be, this should be the capital. We have a metro. If we gave... All of the issues that came with being a capital city to Medellin, like all of the negative issues and all of the, do you think it would be able to cope within that in that valley geographically? You know, geogra- geographically? No, I mean this is no. one of the the great underestimated features of Colombia in terms of governability. <laughs> yeah. Is that it's got a really difficult landscape, <laughs> and you know that they say there was a recent uh, study. And some some enormous percentage of Colombia is at risk of landslides under heavy yeah. rain. Mm. And a lot of those areas have homes and infrastructure in. It's not an easy country to do infrastructure. Um, so I think if you made it the capital city, you'd be you'd be looking at population growth, which I'm which I'm not sure is safe and less well managed, and whether or not there's the resources or skills for that. You know, it it, it would be super complicated. Um 
quite aside from the type of politics that exists in Antioquia, which we don't need to go into in great no, detail, but I, I don't know that it's it's particularly safe to put uh, <laughs> more political power structures in an area like Antioquia, all things considered historical and present. That was very carefully put. I enjoyed mm. that answer. Thank and you. yet, everyone will know what I meant. <laughs> Absolutely, everyone knows what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, here we go. Let's, let's jump into the next one then. And it says, what challenges do expats in Colombia experience? And is there a stigma attached to being a foreigner in Colombia? What changes have you had to make your everyday behavior given the, uh, you know, have to, <laughs> have you had to make to your everyday behavior, given the relative perception of insecurity that prevails in Bogota and across the country? That's two questions, isn't it? But, but um, the first one, what challenges do expats, I suppose, immigrants to Colombia experience? Is there a stigma? I don't know if there's a stigma. I mean, we're always treated with quite a lot of deference, um, I would say. Yeah, I think that that might be a a a male experience um deference has certainly not not been my general experience of you know differential treatment but stigma feels very um loaded as a word I would say that you know my my Venezuelan friends would tell me that they experience stigma from being immigrants to this country as a as a Brit you know sometimes I don't like the characterizations that are assumed of me because I'm a foreign woman but i have to say the people that i blame for that are other foreigners in colombia you know if so if somebody sees me at the airport and assumes that i'm a white american who speaks no spanish and is about to go to a hostel in poblado that's an assumption based on a a long and broad experience mm. of white people arriving at the airport who are white gringos going to poblado you know what i mean like i yeah. don't yeah and you know if they expect you to be badly behaved or ignorant that's that's again probably the fault of some other tourists who've behaved badly or in an, in an ignorant way. So I'm not quite sure mm. it's stigma. I think it's it's something that develop developed countries, mm, uncomfortable expression, but you know, know global north countries <laughs> who go and do tourism in global south countries. If we improve our behaviour as a group, we will experience less of those negative assumptions when we travel or live abroad. You don't um, ever get as in. Oh yeah, I'm from England. I'm British. Do you, oh hooligans. You don't get that. No, I think no, that's a male more thing. like yeah, more more sort of ha ha Brexit. What a bunch of idiots! Or like the Queen, Harry Potter is a big mm. one. Mm. Uh, Princess Diana still a big still a big figure. Yes. Um, on whom I have very few opinions to the disappointment of a lot of Colombians I've met. Um, yeah. yeah. So st- stigma. I'm not. I'm not sure. There's definitely, um, I would say, you know, as in any culture, there's a, a sexualization of the different. Though being, you know, a very pale person, <laughs> I just I stick out a lot, and you know, catcalling is is a thing. Yeah. But again, you know, the the levels of real sexual violence that foreign women are subjected to in this country are actually not very high compared to. Colombian women so it, it doesn't really translate into uh real problems in the way that stigma mm. against for example Venezuelan people or uh people of minority ethnicities in this country does you know yeah. what I mean uh, yeah I would yeah I'd, I'm I'm with you on that one uh, entirely I I just I don't think I don't think about it very much um have I changed or made any changes to my everyday behavior given the relative perception of insecurity 
I'll, I'll answer is as, in Bogota as a as a parent, I'm obviously very aware of what's going on around me. I think that's that's the key issue for me. Uh, I do see people approaching sort of car doors every now and then. Yeah, you know, you know, it's it's an everyday occurrence. It's not that they're targeting. I don't believe them to be targeting me as a foreigner. I think the target who a target who looks you know accessible. Um, yeah, I mean. Aside from that, you know, it's the, it's the usual things, isn't it? It's like just just being careful. Um, I haven't really made that many changes. Yourself out there in Medellin, I think the the perception of increased security risk is very much a Bogota story. Mm. Um, that that story that I, you know I have been following seems very centralized to the capital, mm. um, and a lot of those security tapes of. of robberies and horror stories that they're happening in Bogota and I and I and I'm not you know I don't know anything about the the stats there um but I I do think you know it's a very cent- centralist country so that story sort of feels as though it applies to the whole country <laughs> but really it's a it's a capital city story yeah I think um, so I mean I I don't know I love it you were talking was it a, was it a police car in the background that went past just then <laughs> that's that's the aguacate man <laughs> Um, who has a better sound system than any police vehicle that I have ever heard. Um, Before him was the Masamora guy. Um, If listeners are looking for a a guided tour of the soundscape, uh, the Hare Krishna temple who live opposite me, I'm sure will be uh, chanting again within a short time period. So if you hear handbells, that's what that is. (laughs) Handbells, avocados and Masamora. How do you translate Mm. Masamora? Was it like a rice? rice? Yeah, rice pudding. Rice pudding, I'd say, is the best. uh, Yes, there you go. You've got everything in a nutshell. But you're in the centre, aren't you? You're right downtown. I do live in Pleno Centro. So we are, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We we used to have the Masamora Paisa, sort of like tuk-tuk would go around here. Mm, And it had the music goes, Masamora Paisa. And it was so annoying. And one day there was a fight between one vendor and him, like fists outside. (laughs) They got so fed up with the music. (laughs) So there was an actual (laughs) At least he's trying to spruce it up a bit. Yeah, it was you know, right. he was a nice enough guy as well. I would go and down chat to him, and then if I didn't buy something, he'd obviously I'd been wasting his time, so I'd buy something. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I, we digress. We digress. Mm. Now, let's so get on security. To, no, no, no. Last, last one. Tigran, oh, yeah. Tigran sent in this one this morning, and he's lucky he got it in time. Uh, is there a shortage of bilingual experts in Colombia? Have you had an experience? Can you share with us anecdotes and so on? My one on that one is I happened to be in the hospital, not not ill myself, but I happened to be in there accompanying someone. And in the bed next door, there was a Dutchman who clearly had either dengue or malaria. And uh, the doctor didn't know how to translate what was going on. So I, just being nosy me, just walked over and said, listen, I'll translate. And <laughs> was there for about 40 minutes translating his, his medical symptoms and so on. And having suffered from both of those uh, uh, illnesses, I'm very well-versed mm. on the vocabulary as well. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it seems to me a, a strange dichotomy in that there are a lot of Colombians with very good English. Um, and those skills seem undervalued and sort of oddly unrecognized and poorly distributed in that where they are really needed they often aren't Mm. 
and they're often underpaid those people you know because being bilingual is an incredible Mm. talent and skill Mm. and English is an awful horrible language and anybody who learns it well should be recompensed generously for that but you're right I mean I've been particularly during the pandemic when I was trying to fly Mm. I've sort of become the waiting room translator (laughs) because nobody has thought that you know that would be a good skill to have in the room do you know what I mean so there's but in terms of thematics I mean most of the people who work for the big NGOs here are very very skilled bilingual speakers and so it kind of depends where you are but at a an administrative level I'd say yes there is there is a shortage of so god forbid there'd be an English speaker in an airport then like you said in the in the waiting room you're translating it was it was at both airports actually. It was that there wasn't an English speaker and then there wasn't a Spanish speaker. It was so it was true. just the kind yeah, just but the the kind of underestimation of that as a set of skills. I, I think like is it. yeah, is is just mad to me. But that was also coming from the UK where sort of famously yeah, we're, we're, right, we're it's, known for it. Yeah, it's sort of a I have to say I laughed out loud while I was reading yesterday. I was reading this sounds ridiculous, but some some old writings of Jung and he talks about word association um tests so when you say a word to someone and they say the closely most related Mm word um and he talks about the interruptions and interferences in that and those being what you read into to learn about their psychology and he says the real problem comes when people speak a word in a different language it's not much of a problem in England (laughs) a hundred years ago we still had this perfectly Oh, deserves reputation for being poor linguists. Well, you know, I, just, <laughs> I, I have nothing to say on the matter as, as someone who studied languages, but equally, I know it. I know it well. Um, I, it's quite sad, isn't it? It's, it we st- and we're still poor at it. it, it I... It's a cultural arrogance that mm. sort of bleeds about the country. Um, but I, you know, I, I do wish that people who spoke two languages, you know, not just talking about myself, obviously, but were were better recognised. And because there are, you know, people who have that skill, mm-hmm. who there, there's no really good jobs for them, mm-hmm. despite that being an incredible talent to have. Um, yeah. So. Well, let's pick up on politics then, because <laughs> that, mm. that, 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 that that dovetails perfectly into mm. politics and peace and and. This was a good one. I mean, well, actually, it was. I think this is Julian in Germany, if I'm not mistaken. It's security. Has it really mm. deteriorated as badly as is being reported? What do the statistics of the past years until now tell us? Do you have any thoughts on this from your from your base in Medellin? I mean, do you think? I mean, we see these news reports daily, and of course, in your news report, there's usually an update on on massacres or um mm. community social leaders being being assassinated killed or, or and so on so it does seem that it's it's ever present but what i mean what do we think i've got some stats and i'll jump in in a second yeah but- yeah, yeah i mean from the point of view of of the killings of um signatories to the peace deal of massacres the numbers aren't massively spiking in a sustained way you know we're not seeing particular growth say in the last two years or so that that really holds up in the stats on that Mm. um but over the last five years you know things are not getting better as they should be given that supposedly Colombia was at war and now is not at war Mm. the figures have not improved as they should have done 
given given that fact. Um, but Richard, I'll let you jump in because I'm not <laughs> I'm not actually uh, that well versed in the stats. You know, well, I, I, I was looking those. through. I was looking through, and there's so much out there, and it all depends where you look. I mean, if you look in mm. Samana and read any of their headlines, Samana magazine, you know, we're we're living mm. the, the the greatest halcyon days ever in Colombia, and then if you read. Uh, I don't know what is it, the Basta Ya from the Centro de Memoria Historica. Uh, everything is 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 truly dreadful. And if you in De Paz, that's it's kind. Of, I would say that's probably the most accurate. So we've got to kind of you know reach a happy medium in between it. And and what we can see is, I'm and I'm summarizing immensely because I think we could write dissertations on this, is that from 2013 onward, there has been a steady decrease in sort of homicides and and that that level of violence um so i mean you see that and it's high it's what we're looking at 62 per hundred thousand pastrana so that's 98 to 2002 and then it one is 42 uribe two is 34 so you can see it dropping Santos, his first term, it's down to 31.9. Santos, second term, 25.18. And then in Duque's first couple of years, it's, it's 24, so it's still dropped. But, of course, there are all sorts of things to bring in that. And, and you know, you've got the what's known as the peace dividend. So from re- really mid-2015, when, when people knew that uh, the talks were ongoing and there was a unilateral ceasefire, it wasn't bilateral. And then, of course, 2016, 17, uh, and uh, the, the, the downs from the, from, from, from the talks themselves. And then, we, of course, we go into the Duque era, and there's the quarantine as well. And everywhere in the region, aside from Mexico, experiences quite a significant drop in violence. Oh, we're all mm. at home. But of course, you broke a story as well. Uh, was it for the Telegraph or the Times many months it ago? Was about the Telegraph? Yeah, yeah a long time ago. Yeah, about so it seems. Uh, about the violence, of course, during the quarantine. So there you go. Right. I mean, during the quarantine, everywhere violence, as you say, went down. But the killing of social leaders went up because mm-hmm. their murderers knew where to find them, and the murder of women by their partners went up. Yeah. Um, so you know, it does. It's as it is said. There are lies, damned lies, and statistics, <laughs> and you can really you can play them lots of different ways. It's, as as you say, you know, the media yeah. and various institutions play them and cut them and slice them. Yeah. In, in ways that are not terribly objective. I, you know, we're looking, and I, I said 2013 as a starting point, but if you look at Sia Vasia, it's a very good online sort of, I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, it's journalism, but there's yeah, also other investigations. Mm. In 2012, there were 16,000 homicides. You know, it's, uh, in 2021, there were 13,700. It's mm. gone down. But it's still unacceptable. I mean, let's let's just say it's like that. And mm. at the same time, if we look at 2020, you know, there were 90 massacres, which led to the deaths of 381 people. 
2021, 96 massacres, 338 mm. victims. And in 2022, so far, with a cutoff at the 24th of April, 36 massacres leading to the deaths of 133 victims. So it, what it really is, and I think you back me up on this, it's a transformation of the violence that we're seeing. Because previously, and I've spoken to lots of people, you know, the UN and, and uh, Red Cross and so on, that they were able to obviously negotiate with large groups because there's a chain of demand. Now, as reported in the New York Times, and I think quoted by Adam Isaacson from the Washington office on Latin America, there are more than 30 different armed groups within the country vying for strategic uh, routes, drug smuggling, people trafficking, arms, you name it. And you can't negotiate with them all on the same levels. And the transformation as well, it makes rather than sort of, you know, haphazard killings, they're very targeted, like you say, peace mm. uh, accords, signatories, social leaders, community leaders. And so maybe, and of course, we're in, you know, between 2012 and now, we're in immediate communication everything is known within seconds you know and, and so there's this transformation and i don't know what you can say is the violence right now is not to our 2012 or through 2002 levels but should things continue along this path it's going to get worse i think that's the i think that's the way to put it what do you think about this yeah i i think it's as you say the violence has simply transformed um and we're looking at instead of a war between people who at least in theory had political demands and the government could negotiate with them there are no political demands among these new groups the government cannot negotiate with them because to give them what they want would be against all international law and the constitution and sort of really against all sense um in terms of what a government should should be up to um so I would say also, again, a complicating factor with these stats is that they are collected in different ways over yeah. time. It's yeah. really it's really difficult to compare them. Again, with homicides, you know, what looks like a, a conflict kill or a massacre or a homicide, you know, and certain outlets will say, you know, there was a massacre, but four <laughs> of these guys were, were in an armed group. So it was yeah. more of a conflict. You know what I mean? I mean... Mm -hmm. As far as I'm concerned, killing of another human is is a murder and and full stop, end of sentence. But in terms of statistics, that's incredibly complicated to do comparisons over time as well. And the, as you say, the terminology, uh, what does the mm. government use? Uh, they use it. They don't say massacres. They say selective multiple killings or something. Something like that. Something. And, you know, Ind Indipaz considers a massacre. I think it's anything over three or four people. Three or four, yeah. Um, whereas the the international definition is actually, I think, over eight. Mm. Um, so again, you know, terminology is complicating. I don't have any thoughts either way. Again, killing killing a person, killing, killing more killing. than a person, like yeah. we should we should be writing it all down somewhere, but we do need to be careful about saying it's definitely rising or it's definitely falling. Yeah. Because we we don't really have that information. I also there's another another element to this before we go on to the next question as well, mm. is that 34% of all of these homicides killings take place in in basically three departments so right. it's Antioquia, uh, Valle and Nariño Cauca I can't remember which mm. one of the two that's three from every 10 you know so 
the concentration of that. Whereas Antioquia, obviously the capital being Medellin, mm. Medellin's uh, homicide rate has dwindled uh, in terms of what it used to be back in the, you know, the really dark days of, of the Escobar uh, mm. uh, you know, era. And it, it's like, it's again, it's the transformation, right? Mm. You know, it's, it's where, where is power being fought over? Mm. Um, and right now in Colombia, it's the countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's those parts of the countryside. They did the, the list of the most dangerous cities in the world. Uh, I think mm. it was last month. And the the three that are Colombian are all in Valle de Cauca. Oh, really? Well, Cali. Mm. And then... uh, Cali, Buenaventura, and um, Palmira. Palmira. Interesting. Oh, well, so it's just on the outskirts, isn't it? it, it right. I mean, yeah. it uh... could be swallowed by Cali sort yeah. of within the next yeah. growth spurt. But um, <laughs> it's it's definitely, you know, which which maybe brings us on to... Um, the Buenaventura question. The Buenaventura <laughs> question, because I, I think it is, you know, it's absolutely key to this question of where is where's profitable in the country and where are people fighting over those profits yep um and Buenaventura is absolutely the result of that being the Pacific corridor for trafficking uh that countryside being incredibly rich you know not just in Mm. being a corridor but in wood there's an enormous amount of money being made in deforestation in Buenaventura Mm -hmm. um as well as um minerals Mm. And, and so of I've, course there's, there's, there's coca growing nearby as well isn't there absolutely yeah. yeah and those you know the eln and various um dissidencias are there clando golfo is there and then the urban groups in buenaventura who are uh amigos <laughs> aliados de, of those groups um yeah. are working for them in the in the urban context which is a very concentrated violence i yeah. was i was actually there was it last month, month before oh. in Buenaventura? And I spoke to, to a couple of internally displaced communities. I don't know whether the person who asked this knows that or this is somebody I've already no, bought over this coffee. Is, is this... This, is, this is Donald in Canada. Ah, well, <laughs> a great coincidence. Um, if anyone is interested in, in this, I've got, you know, I've got some very depressing pictures of where, of where particular indigenous communities have been given... Uh, accommodation would be a grand word for what they've been given by the local government um i spoke to uh a woman who's exactly my age called marisela who um went into labor in one of these shelters in buenaventura where she'd recently been displaced and she started having seizures um because she was under a lot of stress the doctor later said but the ambulance would not come to the hostel because it was in a part of town where nobody goes at night for fear of gangs. Mm. And she had to be carried in a blanket by the indigenous guard to the border of gangland where the ambulance would consent to pick her up at two in the morning in full labor, having seizures. So the, the people who run from the Buenaventura countryside are, are not only being neglected, but face another massive challenge upon arriving at a place mm. that they hope is safe. Mm. Um, and the accommodation is, it's pretty bleak. One of the places I went was not even converted. It was just an office block. Mm. You know, there were there were 50 people living in what were really three offices. Um, so it's, it's pretty depressing stuff. Um, and those waves keep coming. And uh, there are also a lot of um, Afro-descendant communities who've been displaced for years from that countryside. And even if they get to go back to their land, that land is not what they left behind. 
Um, and it's not just a matter of their properties having fallen apart, which obviously happens over time, particularly in that climate, um, but their land will have been deforested or mined or, you know, had the soil horribly degraded by someone growing coca on it. Um, even if you get your land back, even if it's very shortly after you're displaced, the loss that is sustained is massive. Um, it's a very complex phenomenon that that the government is not it's not compensating for um and the stories of you know the army being very allied to groups in that area um i heard a few of them and i'm pretty you know they are quite convincing there's also the the culture is destroyed when you break up the family units and the towns mm. and they get divided, that's that's the identity and the culture goes as well. That's one of the things we don't talk about either. It's like where you know that as you talk about the degradation of the soil, the land, and I, I had I found some figures for this as well. Uh, in 2021, there were more well, about 17 and a half thousand people displaced in the immediate area of Buenaventura to Buenaventura. Mm. That is a 125% increase on 2020. So 2020, as you said, you're, you're still, on, I guess we're, we're, we're looking at the isolation and the quarantine and people being a bit mm. more careful. And then you got 2021. So like you're saying with statistics, to, to be able to even take a little bit of, of and put it into context is that 2020 is going to be an anomaly on all of these on all of these things you have to sort of take it in context of 2019 uh and so very uh, very disturbing what's going on and i don't really yeah. think there's any anything being done apart from you know the occasional uh was it diego milano the occasional sort of statement that they're militarizing again another section but they don't go into like where you said this area they go on the edge they're on the <laughs> edge and they are you know the the people that i spoke to said that they are checked at every possible juncture mm. by members of the Colombian military. <laughs> and yet members of certain armed groups show up in their communities. <laughs> you know, whose who's movement is really being controlled? Mm. Because it seems to a lot of the people who are being displaced that it's a lot of these structures that seem to be to fight armed groups are much more aimed at controlling the community. I don't know if you can hear that dog. Apologies. I can hear dogs. Did you hear my child I know. crying? In the yes, I heard yeah. the child. I mean, life life continues even while podcasting. I don't know if that's a revelation to anybody. Um, yeah, no, it's an it's an interesting one, and I think the the movement south of the conflict, you know, the the conflict areas are expanding and moving south, which is why we're getting these waves of um, of displacement. Um, but I think it's yeah, it's important to stress that even if it's a temporary displacement, a lot of the losses are very much not temporary. No, it's you know. Now we've got our first presidential election question, and it would just take mm. too long to answer. <laughs> it. But depending on who wins the presidential race, what will the next two to three years in Colombia look like? Well, my my response is that if Gustavo Petro wins that he would govern very much in a similar vein to uh, López Obrador in Mexico, in that a lot of the time his hands would be tied and a lot of the time he'd be bitter that he wasn't able to do some of the, the you know, let's say reforms that he'd like to do. And then a lot of the time, as I've, as mentioned a few podcasts ago with Sergio Guzman of Columbia Risk Analysis, he'll be up on his balcony 
you know, uh, calling the hordes to the streets and making appeals to the international court of um, inter-American courts of human rights and so on. That's what I I feel. Whereas on the other side, if Federico Gutierrez, known as FICO, wins, I would suspect there will be a greater move to militarize uh, problem areas, such as like in Arauca. Um, I think he backed the peace accord. At least he seems to say he did at some point, but you never really quite know. Um, I did watch an interview with him the other day. Uh, when he was talking to the Sea of Asia and and he said, you know, 14 billion pesos are tied up in regalias, which is the sort of funds that are, uh, are generated and given out to each department or state. And he was talking about this. And he was talking about how they have to get that into infrastructure. And the editor of the Sea of Asia said, well, actually, it has nothing to do with the presidency and, and central government. It has regional government. And his response was, como así? And that's what worried me the most, because it was Mm. uh, unknowing of quite a serious issue. Uh, And then at the end, he talked about Plata being Plata. Plata is Plata. And again, I know that's going to appeal to his core base. You know, money's money. But it also, Mm. it it was of concern to me. So I've got concerns on both sides. How how it pans out over two to three years? Uh, it's it it'll be a, a stress test for Colombia on both sides. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> yeah, I certainly think uh, Fico is more of more of the same at best. Um, the the speech that he made when he won um, the the presidential primary was a kind of a level politics oh. cliche of right-wing discourse Mm -hmm. it was liberty and security um which is you know spine chilling if you know what that means in practice Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in a country like colombia um whereas you know as you say with with petro you run the risk of a a leftist populist who is really hostile to the press and hostile to democracy there have been some some not great interactions with the press by petro Mm -hmm. um However, <laughs> there is Francia. I mean, I, yeah. I do think that the the cultural change, something less less visible, something more nebulous that could mm. be achieved by having someone who is truly regionalist and mm. pro-human rights and pro-the environment, even proximate to power, mm. could it could be a very positive thing in the long term, even if it doesn't necessarily translate into legislation. As you say, mm. Congress is not in Petro's favor in terms of having a majority. And he, he may find that very frustrating. Um, and that may result in all kinds of discourse, like this man isn't delivering what he promised, or, you know, the right is blocking all the things we wanted to do. The, the, the potential in this country to speak, to weave to weave a yarn, <laughs> however tenuous, from from an event um, in various directions, uh, continues to surprise me on a weekly basis. Um, but <laughs> think- certainly, certainly, what worries me is 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 the environmental element. Um, the deforestation in Colombia is wild. The leaning towards fracking is mm. pretty concerning. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think this ties into the next question, really. I don't want to okay. let's, jump let's, over it. This was from Nicholas uh, in, 
in the UK. It's Colombians want change, but it's unclear what type of change they want. More state, less state, more protection and subsidies, or more liberalism and free market. And if the Petro coalition wins the elections, what type of change will they bring? And how long before the country gets plunged into another political crisis? I'm... I don't know if we're emerging from a political crisis just yet. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I. I. Well, you know, nobody. Nobody knows. Everybody. Nobody uh, has any guesses about where I stand, somewhat politically here. But um, I. I would say that we're in a in a crisis of uh, independence of the institutions. This government has tied up all of the institutions with their. Um, you know, filling filling the judiciary, the procuraduría, the everything else with the, with their friends. Duque talking that he would like to be a constitutional judge in the future. It doesn't. I mean, I, I, that's not all too positive. Um, do you have any thoughts? More state? Yeah, less state? I think the in terms of what Colombians want, I think what we do see. Well, I mean, I. I don't think anybody needed to see these election results to, to think this, but polarization mm -hmm. is is a it's a state of affairs, to say the least. Um, so what Colombians want is is not a single thing. Um, mm -hmm. Different Colombians want very different things. Um, some people do want liberty and security, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, I think that kind of liberty that does not come within the discourse of human rights usually does mean free marketeering mm. um and you know a a liberal neoliberal approach to to both the state which would be sort of minimal state with security apparatus in full force um in terms of the international community what is being called for over and over and over at every massacre at every new report is more state but not the guys in the camo mm. let's do let's do some schools let's cool. You know, let's have some options so that when people, you know, armed groups look to recruit, that's more difficult for them. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think as well, in terms of the country being plunged into a political crisis. Well, I mean, there have been 30, it's actually 37 as of uh, the last 24 hours, 37 oh. massacres. And it's, it's not May yet. So I, I don't know what another political crisis is, but if this isn't one, I, I'm not really sure what one might look like. Um, a, a, a bifurcation in the in the political crises. I mean, just sort of, sort of. I don't know. Yeah, or sort of add a new one into the mixing bowl. Yeah. I guess. I mean, I, I certainly think if what could cause a political crisis is uh, the USA and international markets being left phobic mm. and sort of doing mad things that radically affect the Colombian economy simply on the grounds that there is a leftist president in power. I think there is a danger of that. Um, and the way the markets responded to Petro's winning the presidential primary was an indicator of that. That was pretty worrying. Um, he had to go to a notary and sign a piece of paper saying he wasn't going to expropriate anything, um, which he had never said he was going to do. You know, he's not Stalin. He's never said that that's a viable policy. You know, that there's a lot of um, fear-mongering, wandering around that actually does have, it has reflections in the international response, which affects Colombia again. And this, you know, this thing about more state, less state, 
Mm. when an enormous amount of Colombia's annual budget comes from the USA in terms of aid, and that aid is strictly prescribed in terms of what it's for, Mm. and it's for anti-narcotics, and they've got an idea of what that means, and that means men in camo, Mm. you know, it's it's more complex than just what Colombians want mm. and what Colombian politicians do. Um, the the left phobic men, uh, uh, thing that you said, mm. I think that if if let's say uh, President Biden or whomever else creates a policy or his hawks create a sort of policy left phobic policy, is it do we think it's likely to to push uh, Gustavo Petro to become more extreme? And his using you know to you know let's say okay they, they've rather than trying to smooth things out and uh, he's because he's not really someone who negotiates he's not really someone who likes that very much and that's what the big concern of course is you know Congress will be fractured and it will be fractured in opposition to him I reckon uh, because mm. he's not very good at doing deals you know he stands up this is the way it should be you know I'm yeah right. I mean given one one hopes that it's no longer the the 60s and by turning away from biden he won't necessarily have to run into the arms of xiping or putin God, one hopes um but you know biden came out this week and said colombia is one of the global allies of the usa one of the global non-nato allies oh, yeah. um and duque's done a lot of you know work at you know doing his little tantrum against russia at the un and you know all of that is about getting closer to the us mm-hmm. and i don't think that biden is going to be punitive against a country that elects petro mm-hmm. um but we don't know who's coming next yeah and if it goes republican again that that relationship could be problematized yeah definitely i think as you say could we just could we find a government somewhere in there somewhere in there that makes it harder to recruit young youngsters into groups perhaps not by you know again as you say camouflage state uh schools law courts you know the rule of law schools hospitals drinking water basic human rights yeah Basic and rights rights, rights for women rights for women um again we could go on for hours on that one. <laughs> let's mm. let's we've done the we've done the heavy stuff now we've done the heavy li- lifting travel and tourism this came from simon who's in the midlands and who's actually coming to Colombia this this summer mm. um he says if you could make one change to the way the Colombian tourism industry is managed or marketed, what would it be? Caveat here as well. He works in sort of like an executive tourism uh, degree course at uh, in a university in Birmingham, so that's where it comes in. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts? And I would I will steer you towards something that I'd like to talk about, and it's the Colombia country branding and campaigns. I mean, Richard, you you own various <laughs> tourism based industries and. I would feel mildly idiotic answering the question at all, given that you're here and given that it's being asked by someone who studies tourism. So aside from saying, let's do it in an environmentally friendly manner, I'm going to just shut up. Okay. Well, it's good you said that because one of my, the big bees in my bonnet is this move to try and make everything sustainable, at least on paper. And it's not. I mean, the whole there must be a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of actual uh, operators, agencies, hotels, etc., that are ecologically, environmentally 
sustainable businesses. But the infrastructure is very limited here for us to be so. As you say, I have a couple of businesses in it. And you know, the town of Montbos, where I have my businesses, was a couple of years ago, was declared an, an, a sustainable tourism destination. And to date, I don't know what that means. Because if you wanted to say that it was sustainable and that it attracts tourists all year round, well, that's not true. Um, because we have, like everywhere in Colombia, huge, uh, damaging, economically very uh, beneficial high seasons, but very damaging to the economy in terms of trying to work it out and spread it out over the year. And we have low seasons where there is not you know, nary a Colombian or foreigner in the town. So if you're talking from that level, it's not sustainable. If you're talking from the environmental level, you know, we're still dumping stuff in the river. There's no proper waste uh, collection in the town. People don't have drinking water. Yeah, so we're not. And this obviously is replicated a hundred thousand times across the country. I, I wouldn't even want to hazard a figure. So uh, my my feeling is that each new uh, uh, cabinet tourism body comes in and and you know they have the right ideas and and the benefit they want to make good on it but they have to show figures and numbers back to central government and they have to show a degree of progress and so to do so again it's a we come back to terminology without actual substance uh, and that's that's my issue and then the the final thing and I'd like to say is these these country branding campaigns. I think we should probably stick with one for a while. Uh, you know, let's let's really get it out there and the recognition rather than every couple of years because there have been some real flops. I think the uh, Sabrosura, because which can't be really translated into English. So Colombia is tastiness. I, I don't know. Colombia is I don't know vibrant. I don't know what you want to say. And then there was. Um, Colombia's rhythm, okay, okay. Colombia's passion was probably the best at the very beginning. Uh, I don't know. The only risk is wanting to stay came at a time where you could play off the sort of drop-in kidnappings to foreigners wanting to stay type thing. But I don't even know what the one is now, but I just wish they'd stop flip-flopping on this one, maybe take one item and get us all behind it. That's That's my feeling on it. And uh, and and I know it's hard, but we kind of have to accept also the reality of what goes on in Colombia and not deny it uh, and say, oh, you know, we have the best restaurants or we have the best restaurant in not top 10 in, in Bogota in South America. Great. But there's so much more, you know, so, so I think there's this there's this focus on top tens and lists. It's kind of ends up being like a BuzzFeed, uh, BuzzFeed ministry. I don't know. Have I made sense, Emily? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I think the. The lack of staying power, the lack of commitment to a narrative, um, but equally, I'm sort of glad they moved on from all of those reasonably quickly. Hmm. There's something sort of uncomfortably orientalizing about <laughs> you know, claiming that a Latin American country is necessarily passion or rhythm. That to me feels like very Orientalist and reductive. And, you know, certainly the type of tourism that comes to Medellin um, is a sort of fetishistic, orientalizing white gaze that thinks that 
mm. Colombian women are inherently more beautiful or more passionate or, you know what I mean? Like there's a, a kind of hedonistic orientalism mm. that comes with the use of ideas of like sabrosura, something that doesn't, a type of tourism that doesn't necessarily come to, to learn and respect and enjoy, mm. um, but comes to sort of like let loose some wildness that is attached to a non-white country. I don't know the the like mm. the politics of all of that. To me, feel very uncomfortable. It's a, it's a, as you say exactly the fetishism of it. There is, and of course, and I can mm. say you know the passion on the other side. You 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 could that passion, of course, will be interpreted that way in somewhere like Medellin. But if you come, mm. if we take it from my perspective in Montpos, we get a, a very well traveled sort of clientele coming through right. looking for architecture and looking for authenticity and the passion comes through that or the sabrosura comes through that but of course totally, the flip yeah. side is of course Medellin and, and uh, Cartagena of course is another mm. flip side type place so I, it's hard Donald again asked how was Semana Santa in Mombos this year well it was full it was full of Colombians and we had a great we had a great season thankfully mm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very nice to see an upturn in businesses after 14 months of uh Total misery, total misery. But okay, let's get on to the miscellaneous because I know we've got to end this soon. And these are quite fast. <laughs> miscellaneous okay. questions. Why do carrier bags always get tied in a knot which cuts off your fingers circulation? So that's a reference to carrier bags in supermarkets. Mm. I can't answer it. I just can't. Something about the physics of thin <laughs> handles and heavy objects causing rotation would be my guess. My okay. solution because I am the soy latte sipping hipster <laughs> asshole that I've been accused of being online, is to use sustainable carrier bags because you won't have that problem with them. We Smile. do that too. <laughs> we do that too as well. We have, we have canvas bags we use for those. Exactly. Perfect. Uh, but I do recall them cutting off the circulation <laughs> on Absolutely. my fingers back in the day. I don't know what it is. I think they tie it up so you can't slip anything else in there. I think that's it at the end. I just, Interesting. I, that's my my feeling uh mm. why doesn't colombia have more a more interesting cheese industry given that they have so much dairy now given that cheese is a food group <laughs> I, I feel strongly about this uh, the best cheese for my money is piper piper cheese out of boyaca it's actually okay. got flavor it's a bit aged because there's this insistent on 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 what's known as fresh fresh cheese mm. now, are you are you vegan I'm not. No, okay, absolutely right. so, not. Okay. So what do you think about this? Because there is, a, you know, there is a dearth of, of, of cheese. There is a, I have to say, it's one of my few gripes with Colombia. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I've, I actually, this isn't just a European gripe. <laughs> I have a Venezuelan friend here in Medellin who is furious about the lack of cheese here because in Venezuela, you know, pre massive economic collapse, there was an amazing range of cheeses. This is not a problem with the region, with the climate. This is a cultural question. And it may be that Venezuela has more of a, a Europhilic history and maybe more of a, a desire to emulate those culinary cultures. Equally, my friend, um, who is who is a real foodie, is furious about the pastries here and the butter. Like it's it's a more generalized thing, I think. Um, so I think maybe the answer is just that no one wants it. No, no. So course, only so foreigners looking for a brie. You know, yeah. Colombians they've got 
queso, quesito, queso costeño. I come, <laughs> I come back from overseas always. And if anyone comes back, it's, it's I ask for cheddar. And last mm. night, can I just say that my youngest son opened the fridge, took out the last lump of cheddar, ate half of it and gave the other half to the dog. I'm a bit upset. <laughs> I'm a bit upset. <laughs> I kind of lost my temper with everybody in the house. <laughs> so, but, uh, and then, and we've got the final question. What kind of cheese is it that folks in Bogota put into their hot chocolate? Now, I don't put cheese into my hot chocolate. I have had the cheese in the hot chocolate as an experience. It is the closest translation is it could be mascarpone. Uh, it's the most similar. It's a firm but creamy cheese that melts easily. Because in Antioquia, they'll just drop a they'll drop a queso costeño in there. Oh, really? And make I've it had, salty. I've had I've had a couple of different types of cheese oh. floating in my hot chocolate in oh. the hills around Antioquia. I never complain to be honest, because if it's made with with mm. water, mm. it definitely adds something. Yeah, because um, there's a bit there. It, it definitely was a surprise the first time I had a hot chocolate here. Nobody warned me and it arrived and it had a cube of cheese floating in it. Um, but, you know, you can adapt to anything, right? Yeah. Did you Have you had one of those um, salpicons, like the fruit salads, and then they shave cheese on top? Oh, I had something in Valle de Calca actually yeah. um, last year. I can't even remember what it was called, but it was, it had sliced fruit. Yeah. And cherry syrup. Yeah. And then milk. And then grated parmesan. Condensed milk. It was the it's most, a... it was the single most bizarre thing in a cup anyone has ever. Is that a, it was... a, a cholau? It was a cholau. <laughs> that's what it's called. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I was so excited because my Vayuna friends were like, this is, this is what we eat here. You're going to love it. This is the specialty. I was like, this is, this is four different specialties in one cup. What? What's that? Yeah, it was it was Rated the parmesan par- that really it was the parmesan that really threw me off. I'll be parmesan honest, the rest of it. Style cheese, parmesan style. You're right. I don't want to be don't want to be sued by any Italians. Um, um, yeah, there's the, oh god. Well, I, uh, quick digression. In hmm. I I spent many many years ago as a young 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 buck. I was in Ukraine when I was 18, 1995, and they used to put in my family. I couldn't speak for any other family there garlic in the coffee wow and that's just not something i could uh, i could come to terms with and they, and it was i think the word for garlic was chisnook and it was like richard chisnook and we were about to drop it in my coffee like, no 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 no, yeah. no. <laughs> but i don't mind the cheese and the garlic. i find it you know it's it's kind of endearing i think <laughs> it's, it's i think it's it's, it's- it's specific. Yeah. That's I, the best word I can come up with right now, but it's not bad. It's not good. It's right. just something to get used to. I get the feeling that it's like a lot of these sort of very traditional platters. It's meant to fill you up before you go out and work the fields. Right. Yeah. And, you know, as, as English people, we can't really be running around criticizing other people's food because <sighs> unless you're really into like pie or deep fried stuff, we owe our entire culinary and cuisine goodness to immigrant communities to whom this we ought true. to be incredibly grateful that we're not still eating turnips and mash um so yeah Overcooked those in cabbage. glass houses throwing stones i don't know what the exact expression is but you know what i mean i'm not going to be throwing li- any living living glass houses don't throw stones mm. but also also you know i mean i guess our, our our main cuisine now is curry isn't it isn't it curry i love a curry <laughs> which is fantastic but again it. you know 
It's not us. A, a, it's not a grand gift of a fantastic immigrant community. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think we even had spices before. Well, before some very bad bits of English history, but it was not, you know, not something yeah. to be proud of. No, we we can't really. Uh, well, let's bring it to an end. Can I say good. thank you, Emily? And thanks for having me. No, it's been good. Uh, it's been great. In fact, it's, it's always fun, isn't it? So, and yeah. thank you to Nicholas, Julian, Susan, Sarah Louise, Simon, Emma Louise, Donald, and Tigran, who sent in the questions. Uh, thank you very much. Priority was given, of course, to our Patreon supporters. So, therefore, sign up for Patreon. Thanks, guys patreon.com forward slash columbia calling you'll get the newscast there as well and of course you get i'm trying to work out more special things to give you we're, we're working it out it's, <laughs> it's a process but this has been episode 421 with myself and emily hart there in medellin thank you everyone for listening i know you've enjoyed this one just as you did episode 407 in january that's us signing off for today thanks richard thanks everyone thank bye bye Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big